Welcome to the DAP Project. This is Rhonda. And I'm Aaron. We're talking with George Ashton and Kira Gums. George and Kira are my buddies from the Hope Investment Club. The most interesting part of this interview for me was just having time to dig a little bit deeper into conversations that tend to come up regularly with black men, but really having a chance to dig deeper meant a lot for me. Rhonda, what did you enjoy about this conversation? I loved hearing Kier compare giving dap to going in for a kiss. That was hilarious. And each time he would say, I would take it in a different direction, he was about to say something really insightful. Insightful indeed. What was that other point that you brought up, Rhonda? George describing how he signals that he didn't agree with something someone said during a meeting by not dapping them after the meeting. That's subtle, high-class shade. Uh, yes, my friends do tend to be classy and subtle. Let's also not forget that I was invited to the end of the Hope Investment Club meeting just to observe the DAP circle. How could we forget? Okay, let's do it. Welcome, gentlemen. Uh, and this is my, my uh, dear friend and partner in crime for the DAP Project, uh, Rhonda Henderson. A longtime friend since I've known Danielle, so that would be since 2006-ish, 7-ish, maybe? Yep. Since you were making chili in the kitchen for Wine Club. No, it was, uh, it was wine club. a coffee, coffee powdered steak of some sort. Coffee seasoned steak, I think it was, first, first meal. It was, it was good. I didn't make it. That's all that matters. All right. I'm out the kitchen for that infamous... 20 woman wine club meeting in Danielle's teeny little apartment on T Street. So let's talk a little bit about um, when you first learned how to give that. Where were you? Um, were you in a basement? Were you at a barbecue? There's always um, an uncle involved <laughs> in giving that in this, in this instruction. So take us back to that moment, one of the earliest moments yeah, that you were you think of the first time. Okay, if you can, but yeah, try it's to on you. recall. It's hard. I, it's funny. It's like I, I actually don't remember the first time per se. I think the first time that I can at least remember having given it, um, which I'm pretty sure is not the first time ever, was mm-hmm. like in sports, you know, um, you know, you play a sport. And so for me, playing basketball, you know, you mm-hmm. you greet other cats on the team, come on the court, going off the court, you know, um, and, and giving dap in that way. And just like an acknowledgement. I think the most powerful dap in sports, honestly, is after the game is over, regardless of who won, when, you know, you kind of, you go by and you, you greet the other team, you know, whatever. And if it's just like, you just, oh, you, you did okay. It's just like a high five. But if someone had a quality, quality game, you're like, respect, right. you know? Right. So that's, that's what I remember my, my first app experience being. I don't think it was the very first, but that's the first one I can remember. Yeah, you think in junior high or high school, what, what, around about? 
I was junior high for sure, like seventh, eighth grade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And who was on the team for you? Was it um, a team of uh, just classmates, colleagues, friends around the neighborhood? Tell us a little bit about who was That is such an interesting and telling question in a way that you don't even know. So for me, so, you know, my parents are both from New York, Harlem and Queens, respectively. They moved to California. And in California, you know, you, the black folk are in pockets. It's not like DC where like you w- walk down the street, you stumble, you go 50% chance you're going to fall into a black person. Not like that in the Bay Area. And so for me, most of my experiences with other black folk were either family members or in sports. And I ended up, I went to this, um, my elementary school was like predominantly white in a, it was like a Catholic school. My, you know, my parents are like the rare black Catholics. And so uh, it's Catholic school, but the teens were all black. Teens were all black. And so for me, actually, like playing sports was a connection with peers, right? Because when you're with family, you don't feel like you're with peers. But when you play sports, it's people your own age. And so that it actually was more meaningful to me in that respect, because that was like a, hey, we're, we're all together, community, this my bond, this my connection to you kind of moment. And so the DAP was, so my team was 90% black, I'm pretty sure. My, my basketball team, track team was like 60% black. And uh, DAP, and that, and that was the context for the DAP was with the other players on the team. Mm-hmm. George, you want to jump in? Yeah, so uh, actually for me, it, it does tie back to, to family. It's funny how you say uncle. I was just thinking about um, like where I first got it and my immediate family was pretty formal. So, and then I think, okay, was it, were they formal or was it something else? And so I didn't get, get it. That was my dad that first dapped me up. It was actually, like you said, it was an uncle. And it was, let's see, it was an uncle that, you know, we were playing basketball or something. And I was, I think it was when I went from being a little kid in his eyes to being an adolescent. Um, and I remember we used to play basketball all the time and he used to, you know, he was just he was a pretty good basketball player. And, and when I was really little, obviously I couldn't do anything. And I started to actually play him a little bit and challenge him a little bit. And that's the first time I think I can really remember somebody fully dapping me up like a dap and a, and a, and a half hug. Um, and then as I started to get older with amongst my peers and my family and my, my uncles and stuff, then they would greet me with daps and a handshake that went into a hug. Maybe part of it is just being taller, right? So you're not going to dap up a little kid who's shorter than you. So as you get, as, as you get to be their height, then they start to sort of dap you and hug you. Um, and then also I have family down South in South Carolina, and that's when the, the dap got more elaborate. Somehow down mm-hmm. south, the dapping is, in my, my, in my experience, a bit more elaborate sometimes. So, um, you know, there were different things that happened down. I went down there for a funeral, actually, when I was in middle school and, um, you know, learned from my cousins. And they were like, they assumed that I knew how to do the dap that they do. Uh, so I just faked it. And, and so, <laughs> um, yeah. um, but all with family, I always end up with a hug. I guess, you know, for African-American men, the whole like, you know, historically, you know, homosexuality is not something we're comfortable with. So doing the hug at the end with the arm between you obviously creates a little space, right? So um, there's that there's that comfort. So maybe it's just a way of giving a hug that wasn't quite so, you know, chest to chest, full on. Um, Let's go yeah, back a moment to South Carolina. That sounds really interesting. So yeah, I'm curious too. And now you have this other map. And where did you grow up? 
So I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. Okay, uh, well, that's still southern, right? Not that far away. It's, yeah. I mean, people who are from the north consider that the south, but it's not mm-hmm. like South Carolina. I mean, right. you guys know they still yeah. paint the Confederate flag in South Carolina. That's the south. So you had your Richmond DAP, and then you go down south to South Carolina, and they have a whole nother DAP down there that they were doing. And so how did you feel that first time when giving you this new DAP and you weren't exactly sure how to do it? It felt like a, a, a dialect, basically. Mm-hmm. So you know how you go down south and people speak a little differently? It felt like that. Like it's a different way of saying the same thing. It just might come with an extra pump or holding your hand slightly differently um you know that sort of thing so it was like their version of the dap that not me i don't know i guess in general i would say i probably that's probably still the case i still have reunions down there and i go down there every now and then and they you know still a slight i think the dap is slightly different down there than it is up here i don't know i haven't really paid that much attention to it but i'm just sort of thinking through it now one thing we hear a lot about in our conversations um in particular when guys are going to college or out of town or out of state is how the DAP varies and the the way that you have to quickly adjust to that DAP because there is an element of, um, you have to do the DAP with confidence. Like you can't deliver a whack DAP. And if you don't know it, then you have to quickly rebound. So it still looks smooth, right? Yeah, I see you nodding here. No, I think that's true. I mean, honestly, I think that, I mean, Speaking from the perspective of, uh, you know, being, working in, it sounds so cliche, but like working at companies, corporate America, that sort of situation Uh where you don't really know where other people are coming from. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't know what their experience is. Like the idea, like, it's very rare that I can ever not be identified as black. Like it's pretty rare. Like I, I I don't know that it's ever happened. However, there is that like, do you really acknowledge that you're, mm-hmm. black? you know what I mean? And in some ways, I think in you know, like certainly in, you know, working for companies or even at a law firm, that DAP is the way of like being like, yeah, you know, identify like, yes, we are, we are kindred. I, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and so I do think that like, if you go into it and you don't know how to do it or you're real shaky with it, that, that that's like, they're like, oh, okay, maybe you're not, maybe actually I'm not so sure. You know what I mean? So you have to, <laughs> be able to go into it i do on the dialect thing i that's real like you know growing up in california then going to visit my family in new york very different mm-hmm. like in new york it was a much it was bigger it was like a you know like as a whole you know not it, there was a wind up leading into it you know as people are coming up oh, oh you know like <laughs> <laughs> and you know you gotta you gotta roll with that or else people are gonna look at you crazy like oh maybe you don't belong so Anyway, I think there's a lot built into that, that adaptability of the DAP, depending on the audience and the context. When um, Aaron and I first talked about this, he had a slew of stories about how DAP had gone right or wrong. He remembers so vividly the different moments where he met this person and how it went and he met that person. Do any of those stories come to mind for you guys? Like when you're in social settings, do you remember meeting a particular person and, and how it went and if that made a lasting impression on you? I mean, I've got the examples of going in for the DAP and, and it being rejected. Like, oh. you know, you're like, uh, what? <laughs> what happened? What, tell what us about know? that. You, you yeah, missed what's the setting? 
it's it's like dating, right? You, you're dating somebody and you go in for the kiss and they're like, oh, no, actually, I thought we were just friends. Similarly, <laughs> you go in to like, oh, I'm going to dap you up. And they're like, hi, I'm I'm Richard. It's quite nice mm. to meet you. You're like, oh, man. My yeah, man. Right. yeah. I got too comfortable. My, I apologize. Or or I don't know if you've had, if any of you've had this, you're at a meeting and, you know, you see the other, you know, brother in the room, you're like, okay, I think, I think yeah. we're on, I think we're the same. And you go up afterwards and you dap and like, they don't know how to do it. Or it's like, well, they don't want to do it. Yes. Right. Yes. Or that. Yeah. yeah. I've had that too. Yeah. Have, I mean, have you ever like the formal dap, the colloquial dap, the, the, the sports dap. I mean, there's all kinds of versions of it. I think you're always trying to, you know, pass a feeling of respect and endearment to the other person. But yeah, you get in situations where the who are, you know, African-American in the room and, and that person may not want to appear to be different. And so yeah. they want to give you the same handshake. Um, you know, it is what it is. So yeah, I've had situations where <laughs> you just play it off, right? Like, so yeah. you go to the full on dap and then they don't come in, you just sort of like walk by them and keep going. Yeah, have you ever chosen not to play it off where they give you the standard handshake and be like, no, nah, brother, you're going you're gonna to give me the twist and, the, I, and give, me, give me what I came up here for. No, I've never, I've, never, I've never chosen to do that. I feel like if you if you don't want it, I'm not trying to give you, you know, that level of respect. And, and okay, but wait, George, real talk. Have yeah. you ever been that person where someone's like wrong place, wrong time, tries to give you a real hard dap and you're like, hey, brother, it's not, the, it's not that moment. This is not that moment. There's too many people I'm trying to think. I mean, I can think maybe I, there, like, there have been situations where there was a brother that I wasn't cool with or something, right? And he tried to dap me up and I didn't want to be... I, I can definitely remember situations where, you know, I'm just not down for people who sort of, sort of fake the funk, you know what I'm saying? Like, act like they give a shit and they don't really give a shit about something. But, like, especially if it's a black community or something like that. And so I've been meeting people sometimes where they're like just trying to make a buck. And they don't really give a crap about what actually happens to our community. And so in that situation, I'm not interested in that. Like I'm, I'm and, and people sometimes like, and, and also if they're in a meeting and they're sort of, you know, acting silly or not saying something appropriate, I don't want to be associated with them that way. And it's not because they're black. It's just because I don't, I don't like them as a person. So yeah. it doesn't situations where you actually don't want to dap somebody because you're not trying to be that considered to be that close to them, you know? We heard one story um, that was really funny about um, the obligatory dap that you give because you don't want wifey to get upset or you don't want to cause any trouble. Have you had those kinds of situations, those kinds of daps? I mean, the answer is yes for me. You can go. Um, (laughs) It's the same thing. I mean, George, has it been like guys that are in Monique's life who you're like, I don't really trust that cat, but I, you know, I, I, yeah. I'm just stuck with them. So I'm gonna have to, you know, acknowledge. Yeah. It's like, a, and it's like, I mean, you know, you could tell, I think, I think he probably can tell that I'm not really trying to dap him all the way up because the embraces, the handshake is not that tough. And then the pull in is not that it's just like a little, like it, everything's like half done, you know? Um, um, yeah, there's one particular guy I can think of that's married to one of Monique's friends, and I'm just like, this guy is not not my type. Um, but what about you, man? You got you you do obligatory daps professionally or personally? You know, uh, yeah. I mean, honestly, I was going to go in a different direction, which is I think as I've um, been more successful in my life as I've gotten older and had positions of like genuine authority or power. 
I have actually felt like an obligatory DAP that's like a more construct, more positive one where, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it truly, it's like acknowledgement. Like I give you the example. So um, at Uber, we do this, uh, we do a weekly all hands where like literally every employee in the company. So 27,000 people all dial in and it's presentations from management and, you know, on whatever's happening at the company. And last year, I, I almost every week for a couple months, I was giving presentations at the all hands. And now here's the thing, honestly, not that many black folks speak at the all hands, like, because it's just not that many black folk in that senior role. Right. Um, and, but, but, you know, there's a lot of black folk that work for Uber and, and this, the, the moment I have in mind, there's this young, this brother um, who worked, you know, AV, whatever. And I would always pass him, you know, going up to grab the microphone and, you know, one day, you know, we kind of introduced ourselves and I was like, you know, like everybody's there is like the CEO, CEO mm -hmm. and I'm like that. And I felt like in that moment, I wanted, like, I hope he felt the same way that it was like an acknowledgement of each other and that like, yeah, I'm, I'm black. Like just in case there was any like ambiguity about it, I'm black. Right. And I associate with all the black folk here, not just yeah. the other people that are in these positions of authority. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that is a type of like a positive obligatory that we're like, you just have to do it to like rep to acknowledge him, but also say to everybody else, like, we we're together like we might have different jobs at this company but we're both black do you know what i mean mm -hmm. and i feel like it's a very mm -hmm. powerful way of like showing that it's authentic like you know what i mean like it's i would have done it privately but i also thought it was important to do it publicly so that he knew that it's not fake when i do it privately if you know what i mean yeah i mean and part of that is i mean i think i, I agree with you that can be very powerful because you know, sometimes when you make it to certain levels within your job or whatever else, people see you as the exception, right? And mm -hmm. so they typecast. And so everyone else is like him, you know, but you know, you're one of the few. And I like to do that too, to make them say like, no, we're all, you know, but for different opportunities, we're all part of the same group. And so and that association is powerful, I think, for breaking those mental frameworks people put us in, right? Of, oh, you're different. Um, or yeah, you're not like the rest of them. And like, no, actually I am like the rest of them. Mm -hmm. I just had a different situation growing up and different opportunities. And uh, yeah, so I've definitely had that situation where you dap up somebody and people in the room were surprised, you know, like, oh, okay, you're on that team. Or <laughs> mm -hmm. it's like, you're not, not, not that you're on a team, but you're just saying, no, I respect him, you know, for even, even, even if his role is different than mine. So what's fascinating about what you were saying here is that um, it sounds like you're being able to give that guy that affirmed both your identity and your um, like your confidence at work in a professional setting. Where if you start from the assumption that when you walk into corporate America, you have to strip yourself of your innate culture, your homegrown culture in terms of the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you look at people, the way you carry yourself, so that you can be accepted it sounds like you went in the opposite direction. And my guess is that in you being able to do that helped you to feel more comfortable and more like yourself at work so that there isn't a split between your work self and your, um, your outside work self, your real self. Is that a fair kind of understanding of what you said? Yeah, I mean, I actually think I would take it maybe even a slightly different direction, which is, is it was a privilege like it's a privilege. Like when I first started working 
you know, like all of us have chips on our shoulders, like all of us. Well, I would assume, I think many people of color, me myself definitely included, have a chip on your shoulder because you grow up and like for me, you know, people, I, you know, I had all of the, the you know, you, you, you won't be anything, you won't be successful, you're not that smart, your family's not whatever, you know what I mean? Like all of that stuff. And, and that, to be honest, like my wife talks about it, like it's fuel, it's always been fuel mm -hmm. for me. Um, but with that fuel, you know, when I first started at my first job at a law school or when I first went to a law firm, I didn't feel like I could do that on my own. Like I needed that senior person to kind of give me the space to be able to give that. So, you know, frankly, as I've become more senior and more successful or whatever, had different roles, more senior roles, I felt more empowered to be like that. And I would say actually the most powerful DAP, there's a picture of it, it's embarrassing because I'm cheesing like a 10 year old, but the best picture of it is um, at my old firm, Eric Holder's a partner there. And uh, when Eric was leaving to go to be attorney general and work for Obama, I will never, so we had a big farewell and I'd worked with him, but you know, we weren't like best friends. We'd work together on stuff. He, we knew each other. He was very active with the black lawyers and um, they did a photo op at the end of the day and everybody come up and they go like the, you know, the formal picture with a smile. And so yeah. I went up and I was like, I don't know, are we dapping? I don't know what we're doing here. And Eric gave me a big, like, like a full oh, one. Yeah. I was like, ting, like a big, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is so great. I've been acknowledged. But like, that was frankly a function of his power at the, at the firm, being able to do that openly. Like it's like 400 people, the most senior mm -hmm lawyers, most wealthy, most powerful, they were all there. And they're like, man, mm, I didn't get that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like yeah. that. It's like that locker room scene with Obama, where he goes, yeah. into the locker room, he dap, dap, yeah. dap, handshake. And like, I got the dap. Yeah. So, um, I feel like, you know, to your question, I feel like it's a, it's a, it's a statement of power in some ways to be able to do that, feel comfortable doing that in an environment that might not otherwise, you might not otherwise see that in that particular environment. I would say it's also part of, um, it represents like the eternal quest that people of color are on and black men are on to have that moment where all of their identities uh, converge and you feel successful and accomplished. And that's something that you've been working towards. So you mentioned how people have doubted you or had doubted you that you would achieve these roles. Once you get the role, the other part of that success is being able to be your authentic self in right. that role and right. that in and of itself is is a tremendous um accomplishment or a sense of like you were saying you were smiling like a 10 year old because that was your big moment like all of your worlds were colliding you had in a way it sounds like arrived in your mind as your whole self you know the the intellectual the professional but also you know the dude the homie that's that's right there mm -hmm. tapping it up with the other you know homie of homies eric holder <laughs> homie of exactly homie. right, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah here you're gonna have to try to send that picture to us we have on the on the dap project instagram uh eric holder and obama giving each other dap at the hangar uh okay. as, as he was uh leaving office uh, after the i gotta find it i have it i saved it it was literally candy corn smile <laughs> every was going i was very happy that day <laughs> yeah George, you mentioned surprise when you were speaking a moment ago that when you give the dap, sometimes it's a surprise, I guess, on the recipient yeah. side or the other yeah. people who... No, I was just thinking about that, actually, in that um, 
um, or, you know, whoever you meet um, that's, that's, you know, in a business sense has achieved lots of things and, you know, doesn't need to, doesn't, doesn't need you for anything. And then they give you a full embrace DAP. Um, you know, it's empowering. It's empowering for the person that you give it to. So I'm sure when Kira gave it to the, the guy who's in the microphone, it was empowering for him. Right. And I think you're right. It does go back to that concept of our struggle and our struggle together um, and how we're constantly trying to, we're constantly looking for encouragement. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in the club that we've created, the investment club, part of, you know, the, the feeling in the room is that same thing, which is like, can we be in a position where we're all done well? And instead of trying to poke our chest out, we can actually just be happy for each other and encourage each other to do more. And so a good DAP is like that. A good DAP is warm. It's, it's encouraging. It's motivating. It's reassuring. Um, it's all those things that, you know, helps you, helps you feel like, um, whatever they did, you could do as well. And it's sort of them saying that to you, like, yeah, you could do this too. Um, so I can't describe it as intimate or affectionate. <laughs> you I know, think affectionate is right, but I have to piece this apart. Aaron, you knew we were going to talk about this. I know, I know, I know. Why? Uh, why? I, I, I must admit, I want to admit now, uh, George gives uh, some of the best depth that I've, I've ever seen in life <laughs> in my 43 years. Yeah, we dating um, now. It sounds weird. <laughs> I love you, George. I love you, man. I love you too, man. <laughs> <laughs> but but do you remember I referenced uh, Heavy D on uh, Living Single? Yeah. No, I told Rhonda this story. I was like, yeah, I got a friend. Have you ever seen uh, Heavy D on Living Single? Oh, he's that guy? This is George. <laughs> George. But it can't be, but it can't be intimate. And like it's not, the, it's not intimate at all. That's the yeah. wrong word, Rhonda. I keep telling you, we can't use but why, but why can't it why can't we consider this to be intimacy? And our other friend no, is so funny. You, that's like, you, you that's all are, you're all up here with it. That's intimate. <laughs> <laughs> He's like no. third definition of, of intimate. <laughs> you know what's so funny is um it just speaks to the to the to the line that the that, Daphnis that walks on, right? So like it is like the most intimate thing that two men can do without some suggestion of further intimacy. Um and you know, as as black men and how, you know, over the years historically the sexual, you know part of us and, and how that's been juiced up and, and exaggerated, quite frankly. And some of that affects how we think about ourselves, quite frankly, and, and how we think about ourselves and, and how we have to act interact with women. So we are very like, I'm very, we're probably more third railish about the word intimacy than we need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and frankly, I've seen sort of a movement amongst uh, some of my black male friends uh, to actually go to full-fledged hugs, uh, to saying, I love you to each other, which is something that still feels weird to me you know to be saying to you know what's so funny me too me too actually yeah, but that's like the thing now yeah. is like just to be able to say i love you to somebody and, and mean it and not have it be you know perceived as something else so you know it's a positive yeah. sign but it, it's i think we're dealing with some of the historic um you know yeah. i think like black memory. lives matter trayvon martin um uh all the you know from trayvon martin to kobe bryant i think a lot of what has happened with black men publicly and in the, in the media has caused us to, to have somewhat of a shift in how we have to relate to each other and, and express that we love each other as opposed to what has been forced down our throats, you know, historically through the music we listen to and the images that pop up on TV and the media. Um, so 
I think that's why we're starting to hear I love you. We're starting to give purposeful depth, purposeful hugs, uh, as opposed to didn't have that that added uh, umph to it. Uh, you know, the image that just popped in my head was at the end of our meetings when everybody's standing outside of whatever law firm and everybody starts saying goodbye. It's like a dap fest. Right. <laughs> like you turn around and everybody's dapping somebody and then dapping somebody else and dapping right. somebody else and slowly people start to head off in their own directions. Right. And we would all feel some sort of way if we didn't receive that dap. I yeah. <laughs> but wait, but you know what's funny? We haven't talked about the pink elephant in the room, which is how is COVID going to impact that? That is coming up. We, we, yeah. we can get we hop in there now. We can say no, 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 no. I don't want to jump ahead, but I mean, <laughs> I honestly, I've been thinking about that. Like we had it at the last investment club meeting, we had this conversation. I don't know if you guys remember about like how much things are going to change following COVID, and we talked about transportation and commuting and where people live. But like, it, what one of the things I was thinking about was just like the basic human need for touching each other. And like, which sounds weird saying, I will acknowledge, but like, that and- Sounds weird um, to me. Sounds yeah. perfectly normal to me. Thank you, Ron. But, but, <laughs> yes. but, but, but how like the, the dab is a way among black men that we express that, you know, hey, you know, I love you. I, I care about you. We cool, whatever, be good, good luck, you know? It's gone. Like I, 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 I think. Well, I, I could be wrong, but I feel like the handshake, all of that, all of those physical mm-hmm. greetings, the hello and goodbyes that involve hands, and that it's it's going either going to go or it's, it's going to be a, like think about it, it's risky, right? Like it's a risky thing. You know what's funny, Aaron? Yeah, I saw. So Danielle did a pitch in the mm-hmm. beginning of the year for 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 work at Uber. Mm-hmm. And I walked into the room and she was leading the pitch and she was doing a great job. And I was like, and I hugged her because I was just like, I'm so glad to see you, A. Mm-hmm. And B, I want to acknowledge that like we are personal friends. And like yeah. I want people to know I I'm not only do I acknowledge you, but I like we are we're good. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And it was just the beginning of this COVID thing. And I kept thinking about that afterwards. I was like, man, like that was I don't know that I would do that a year from now, not because of Danielle, but because that's where the world will be. Yeah, and so make, like, how, yeah. You make an excellent point. I mean, I think about, this was March 10th, uh, George, you know, Dave's my best friend since I was 16. Uh, we met for coffee in Los Angeles, right when the news started bubbling, just as, you know, meetings and events were starting to get canceled. We met for coffee and, and I got the elbow from him, you know? Yeah. Before we were even on lockdown, before we went on stand, this best friend for for twenty five years. Uh, so I think you're absolutely right, Kara. I think things for that to have been our exchange uh, pre lockdown, pre you know this disease is in America or this virus is in America fully. The post, the aftermath, I have no clue what it's going to be. I know we naturally, as you say, we naturally have a need, and and time, you know, every. every everybody has a short memory uh, or can have a short memory, but I don't know how, how, how long we will go or if it will permanently change. But you, you, you're catching me on the other side of that, that river, uh, fully expecting things to go back to where they have been. Um, but I'll say this, uh, whether I'm right or I'm wrong, I think thinking a lot about this, I really do hope that the solution to this is not, hey, let's just distance ourselves from each other forever. Because I think, like you say, whether it's a need for touch, the ability to identify with others that are not like you, 
all of that I think is bad for our society overall. Um, frankly, I'd rather see us focus on creating healthy living conditions for everyone around the world so that we don't have to worry about pandemics like this and to figure out ways of inventing technology to sort of catch it early, as opposed to the alternative, which is everybody stay in their own place. So I think that's going to create a very me society that we'd be in, even more so than we are now. And some of the issues that we see with already the, the distancing around cell phones, et cetera, and people have been studying that will just exaggerate themselves. And so it'll be a really weird place. So I hope we don't make that our solution. Um, so I hope the DAP comes back. But I, I mean, so how'd you feel when your best friend dapped you? I've had a situation actually where a good friend I met up with and they gave me the elbow. And I was like, mm -hmm. damn, man, it kind of hurts. I know it didn't mean for it to hurt, but yeah. it kind of hurt. Um, and it just, it, it feels different. Yeah. You know? I mean, I was, from coming from Dave is like, I love you and I love your family. <laughs> if I got this shit, I don't want to give it to you. So let me give it elbow. <laughs> yeah, right. Wait, that's actually a deep statement, actually, because that's exactly what I was thinking, Aaron, which is like, if things have flipped before the DAP was the way that you showed, I care, are we connected, mm. blah, blah, blah. But actually not dapping now in the world that we're in at this moment is the way of showing it. Like, hey, man, I love you, but I don't want to make you sick. Right? Like, that's what it's saying. Yeah. yeah. I think it's going to return. I believe that there will be a contraction, like we'll see contractions in a lot of um, elements of society. But the fundamental human need is for affection. And however you express it, whether it's restrained or if it's the full-on embrace, but there is a need for affection. And some people will be satisfied with the elbow. I know that I will not be. And even if I have to carry around hand sanitizer and then hug someone, but there's just no way I could live the rest of my life without hugging. So I would certainly be more aligned with, let's figure out how we can eliminate or vaccinate this virus instead of stripping ourselves and denying ourselves of something that is so sustaining. Like there's just nothing that can replace, you know, the hug or the dap or the handshake yeah. there. Yeah. So. I think we're going to move in that direction. But I also understand your point here that there is going to be this intermediary period where people will awkwardly approach and say, I don't know, maybe, can I, should I? But at some point, there'll be a turning point where we go back to the greetings that, um, that we're comfortable with for some people. Now, for random strangers off the street, maybe not. But there'll be a layer of intimacy. I'm sorry, there'll be a layer of folks who within that <laughs> love that word man <laughs> <laughs> so historically you ready for the history uh Rhonda? yes yes so, so. Uh, <clears throat> death is not just some random uh thing that came out of nowhere um it was purposely created based on the research that we've done there's um, a, a documentary on on the uh, smithsonian website called Black, uh, wait, what on the backhand side? Help me out, Rob. I think it's five on the backhand side. Five on the backhand side, uh, where they uh, kind of traced the origin of death and they took it back to the latter part of the Vietnam War. I read that, yeah. Oh, you, oh, you saw that, or oh, you read that, yeah. Where, yeah. where uh, black men that were in the military back then, uh, you know, they were racism and civil rights movement and all the things that were going on, uh, Jim Crow, uh, it brought, it gave a bond, created a bond for black folks that were in the military. 
And one way they express that bond, express to each other that I've got your back, express, express to each other that I care, um, was to give each other what we now call depth. And depth it became is an acronym that means dignity and pride. Hmm. Um, so you know that. when they gave each other depth, it means I, I, you have dignity, me, dignity, my brother, and and I am proud of who you are, my brother. Uh, so it's it's. It, it, there is some depth to it that we we have come to discover, and of course uh, the exchange existed before then, but but it kind of during the the years of the Vietnam War, kind of took shape into what we think of now as depth. And isn't it fascinating that everything that you said, George, earlier about that is true from a historical perspective, and yet there was no history lesson. No, it's, it, it's incredible. I think. I think that still describes precisely what it what it means at its core. Um, even in Kier's example and, and some of the stuff I talked about, it's funny how that literally is still basically what it means. I was thinking about, you know, other cultures with the handshake or the, you know, the situation with the mm -hmm. Asian cultures, like, you know, just different ways that that's expressed in other cultures. And maybe it's just our version of that, um, you know, for our own culture, but it's interesting that it didn't start until the Vietnam War, so or so you know historians say. So it's not like it's ancient, ancient, but um, maybe it's you know I guess that's with the Black Pride movement and all that stuff as well. Well, it's interesting. I mean, we don't have time to get into it, but the other thought I was having as we were talking was about so I'm an alpha, and you know all the fraternities, all the Black fraternities have like what what is the most significant physical thing that any black fraternity member does to acknowledge them like other members it's the handshake it's the grip right everybody has their own grip and it's and that obviously you know a lot of it goes back to secret codes i mean you know secret societies that sort of thing but the the, the dab piece of it is literally the most critical piece when i you know every fraternity has challenges you challenge people or what fraternity what are you in where are you from blah blah, blah. how do you conclude the challenge dab you know, and so it's just, I know it's, it, it's, it's interesting. Do you guys have sons? Yeah. You, yes. you have one. I have a daughter. You have a daughter. Okay. Um, well, daughters can learn as well as we have now. Um, so with your son in particular, are you teaching this to him? Has it emerged already in, um, in your interactions with him and your greetings, your sign offs, your good job? Yeah. I mean, basically along the same lines when he got to be, tall enough and he sprouted up in the last two years um and probably like you know uh sixth seventh grade so middle school yet again this sort of coming of age uh years um and then again tied to sports for me so you know after a game or something where he does a good job and he's big enough you sort of dap him up like you know i get I, I, I see you i respect you that was an amazing thing you just did etc and then it and then it becomes more just that's how you greet each other so now you know, with COVID, we speak every day and we see each other in the mornings and we might give each other a dap just to say, hey, good morning, you know? Um, and then with my daughter, it's interesting. We do what we call uh, uh, our secret handshake, um, which we never can remember from the last time we said it. So we have to reset it every time. Password. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, what do we, we say the secret handshake was? Oh, shoot, we forgot. Um, so we make up another one and then that's our secret handshake, you know? So... Maybe there's something to what you know. Kira's talking about with the secret handshakes. I will say I was in a primarily white fraternity. They had secret handshakes as well. Um, so 
So I don't know, you know, there's some crossover or what, but mm -hmm. this idea of greeting each other with hands and with, with DAP is pretty pervasive. Did you ever give your white fraternity brothers DAP? Uh, some of them, yeah. And that's interesting, right? Like, uh, even in the NBA, I see some white and black guys giving each other DAP and stuff like that. I think it's, uh, you know, it definitely crosses over beyond just African-Americans. It's a cultural thing almost as much as it is a racial thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's different than I think the DAP you can give in a more intense situation, one black guy to another black guy. It's a more colloquial gap, uh, DAP, I would say, um, you know, in the sports arena that can be shared with everybody. But, but uh, in situations where things, you know, are intense and, uh, you, particularly when folks are not sure about, you know, your, your allegiance and your respect of each other, that's when it's most valuable to me, you know? Okay, you want to talk about your, do you do that with your daughter at all? Have, but not, it's not like a common thing. I mean, it's interesting because I don't think the DAP is inherently like a masculine, you know, mode of communication, like not inherently, but like it's clearly done more frequently. I'm like, even with your example, I assume Rhonda, you, you and your girlfriends aren't dapping. Maybe you hug. Like, I think that's the way. And in some ways, maybe the DAP is the men's way of hugging without, to George's earlier point, like crossing that intimacy you know, self-imposed border that we are, are line or what have you. And so with my daughter, I think if she were in the instances where I would dap her up, if she were a boy, I hug her, honestly. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I mean, I'm sure I have dapped her once before, but it's not, it's just not the same. I definitely, I mean, I got to go back to George's point about like the coming of age. Like I could say, even with my nephews, it's so, so it's almost like it, it's subconscious when they were young I'd see them, I'd hug them, rub the top of their head, whatever. Mm -hmm. But once they got to like almost looking at me in the eye, it, it like without even thinking, it went immediately to dapping them when I saw them. I see it happening with my nephew. I have a nephew who just turned two and another one who is six. And he, my two-year-old nephew is already being trained with the high five. And his, his dad will say to him, give me a high five, give me a high five. And then with my nephew, he's now evolved into giving a pound. And I can see a couple of years from now that he will then move into giving a dap because he is being trained to do that by my brother, our cousins, like all of the older males in the family are giving them the age appropriate version of this. And it's fascinating yeah. to watch because it's coming along. And that's what he'll say. He'll say, high five, high five. And he'll put his little hand out. And then McKinley, my six-year-old nephew, will give guys a pound. When he sees the pound coming out, he does that because my brother also will do that for him when he does something well. You know, if he cleans his room or eats all of his dinner or whatever it is, you know, he gets a pound. And then as he gets older, I can imagine that um, evolving into a dap. Aaron has a funny story about giving dap to his daughters. Yeah, um, they give dap like like a dude gives dap. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, the first time I <laughs> the first time I gave dap when we did our first dap project interview, they're like, "Daddy, what you doing? What's this dap project all about? Why are you leaving the house at eight o'clock at night to go <laughs> go interview folks?" And I said, "I'm I'm doing the dap project. You know what dap is?" 
And so, yeah, I think I've seen you and, you know, some uh, your brother do it and your friends do it. And I said, yeah, then we went through the, I said, let's try it out. And Harper gave me that, like she'd been given, like she was 25 years old on a, on a HBCU college campus and just got through playing halftime at the, uh, at the halftime show, uh, at a, you know, whatever. Which in her former life, she was. Right, right, right. <laughs> And Marley did the same thing. Marley did it with a little extra edge. She's my six-year-old. So <laughs> that's so how Marley rolls with a little <laughs> extra edge. <laughs> exactly. So I definitely think, you know, we, we conform a whole lot as men and as women. Um, but I don't I don't think that um, I do think that it belongs to men, but I think it's because we conform and we have made that be our thing. Uh, it would feel weird as a woman to give other people that to get my girls that that would be like what are you doing they would feel like something had changed in our relationship if i didn't give them a hug and a kiss yeah, we, all, <laughs> we always like to ask fellas um <laughs> all right he's like yeah you do that <laughs> come on man <laughs> so we, we always like to uh, delve into formative years a little bit when, we, when it comes to death if y'all can think about being on the campus of Ohio State or William and Mary, or even uh, doing grad school at Penn and um, University of Maryland, um, did that feel significant? I mean, those are all predominantly white campuses. Uh, were you part of any black student unions or in, in your white fraternity, uh, majority white fraternity, do you feel, where, where did that play a role during your college years or graduate school years? I mean, I'll just, I'll go. So um, I've seen this before, as the situation, the environment gets more intense and it's struggle uh, or challenges racially or otherwise, I feel like that means more, right? So I could think of, you know, that being pretty important to me in college because there are only like 12 of us on campus, right? So <laughs> you, and because you needed that encouragement and, you know, as African-Americans, we always have to interpret what other people are doing to us that aren't that aren't black, right? Like, did you do that because they think less of me because I'm black, or did you do that just because you know yeah. they tripped, right? Like, what 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 was it that made them do that? And yeah. so having to always interpret that around other people uh, who are not you know black is is tiring, and and frankly is you know gives you a certain sense of you know who you are and. So getting a DAP in those situations is is, is critical, quite frankly. Um, yeah, so in college, trying to think within the fraternity. Also, you know, very interesting, you know, if you do get a DAP from a, from a, from a white guy. I was just about to go there. I was just yeah. about to go there. Go. Okay. <laughs> I got All a right. story, too. I got a story, too. And if it's a real DAP, and you can tell the difference between somebody who sort of runs to the paces and somebody who's really down. Mm -hmm. Remember, there was two black, two white guys who, grew up around a lot of African-American people, um, it made them closer to me because I felt like, you know, they knew what it meant. They did it in front of others that they didn't have to. And we had a, you know, a special bond because of it. Go ahead, Kia, I'm not stealing your thunder. Well, no, I, I, I agree with that. Although it's a double-edged sword because there's always a like, why are you doing it? And what's the, what's the background and what, how should I interpret that? And I feel like there's more opportunity for a misinterpretation in the context of a white dude giving me dap than if it was a brother, because I'm just like, well, are you, are you doing this? Is this like you're making fun of, 
Are you was like a cult? Is this cultural appropriation? Are you doing this because like this is just how you know how to communicate that your your word intimacy uh, to folks, and and because you're telling me you feel comfortable with me. Like which of those three is it? Um, and it's funny because I have had uh, you know white guys give me dap or try to give me dap, or it's the first two. Like very clearly, they don't mean it. They're doing it to be funny or they're doing it like, yeah. oh, all black people do this. Therefore, I do. Yeah. And, yeah. and like, it's weird that you can tell like you're like, oh, this is not this is not what you actually do. Like, this is not. Your right. Thing. And then when you have the white dude who does it, who, where it's where you're like, oh, OK, well, yeah, I didn't right. see that coming, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that exact thing happened to me. It was I, I've told the story a few times uh, within the project, but a soccer uh, practice with with the girls uh majority white families around a, a white family that we're fairly close to uh the dad comes up to me and we we give a handshake but just out of habit i convert the handshake to a dap with him and i felt bad about it because i was like the the dap is not for you but i gave it to you anyway <laughs> uh, the the funnier part about it is the next time we greeted each other, I gave him the standard head shake, but I could tell he was like, what's up? Where, where's the rest of it? Where's what I got last time? <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, Rhonda, we got to get him on the dad project in, a, in, in, in the next couple of months just to, to uh, reconcile this whole. <laughs> now y'all got beat. <laughs> but the other story that I repeatedly have told is um, I was at the park with with my girls and another uh, black father with his his daughter in Petworth and a teacher that I used to teach with and hadn't seen in about four or five years. I saw him, white guy, math teacher that I taught with for five years. I worked in when I back when I first met you all. Uh, I was the director of college council. He was a math teacher. And, you know, we were good friends, never gave that while we were teaching together. But when I saw him, I immediately dapped him and gave him the hug, the full-on heavy D George style dap, and <laughs> and it felt as natural as ever. So we got to have him on. Too. I got to tone. I got to tone down my dap. <laughs> this might be too much. But that did mean something. It, it was real. That was authentic. So it was. It's uh. It's, it's because of the history of our relationships that yeah. permit us to give dap to certain people, or the history of who we are. Like when I first met you all. And in the boardroom, didn't know you from paint, but we're black men, so we have that in common, and we know the history behind that. So it's something to it. I want to add quickly to this point about your adapt, George, because it sounded like maybe you think that it's too much. The counterpoint to that is my cousin said this when we were talking. He said sometimes that's the only hug that a guy will get all day, and so that exaggerated hug that you give somebody your your enthusiastic dap could really add something to to someone's day in a way that you you may not know so you know whatever it is that you're doing whether it's five yeah, seconds stop, stop. you know 35 <laughs> seconds a minute plus a hug the shaking of the shoulder and you look him in the eye and ask, you good you good brother you good <laughs> Keep it up. I can tell Rhonda just really wants to be. We we need to have Rhonda come to the end of one of our meetings so she can be in the dap circle. I would be so excited. (laughs) Like you just dap each other for like half an hour. 
and Ron I, think, I think it's a beautiful thing. One of my earliest memories is uh, I went to Columbia undergrad and um, to the point about New York debt, we were all on college walk and it was like the, the changing of classes. I think it was like noon or something. And the guys were coming from these different directions and they just all came in and there was just so much love and so much joy and so much laughter and lots of just clapping and snapping. And, you know, you have guys from New York and different parts of New York, from the South, from the West Coast, from Atlanta, from, from LA. And it was just like this explosion of, of, uh, of greeting and of just friendliness and like brotherhood in this predominantly white campus. And that just stands out to me as a, a moment of, of acknowledgement of men acknowledging each other. And then a couple of seconds later, you know, they all went in their opposite directions. But for the time that it happened, it was just memorable and it was very joyful for them. I can see that we're approaching um, an hour mm. and uh, you know, it's a, the end of a long day. So we really appreciate your time. Is there anything that, that you thought about that we didn't touch on that you wanna make sure you get in there? I hope the DAP comes back. Me too. Yes. I would give you a pound for that. Pound for that. Pound. I don't know, man. I might be with Howie Mandel on this one. We, we, we're going to see. <laughs> We've never had Howie Mandel uh, referenced. We might need an explanatory comma for who Howie Mandel is. Well, you guys know, so like Howie Mandel, the comedian, he used to host, um, God, what's the name of the show? Not the $1,000 pyramid. What they, He used to host a game show where, where yeah, people would guess um, what's in a container, it'd be cash or something else. Anyway, he seems like a very normal person. But in fact, he's a germaphobe. And so the rap on Howie Mandel, and you watched if you see him on TV, he won't shake hands with people. He just does the, the fist bump. And when he first started doing it, people were like, oh, Howie Mandel is so awful. But a lot of cats now are like, maybe Howie Mandel was onto something. And so, you know, that, look, we'll see. If we get a vaccine, if we have good tests for like antibodies, I'm all in on the dap. But if we don't, it's going to be some really heartfelt elbow bumps. That's all I'm saying. No shade. Not trying to die. Elbow. I mean, real talk. But wait, just pause on this, though. Like, I got to come back to it. Real talk. Black folk are dying with COVID because of pre-existing conditions and diabetes yeah. and comorbidities. Yeah. Like it's real. And it's just, I, I don't know about anyone else, but I just find it so ironic that we are both more vulnerable to this disease, both because of like these, these physical cultural things like that we are challenged with biologically, but then on, add on top that we we have a greeting that we do that is even more intimate than right. what most of the population does. It's just I don't know. I find it interesting. Yeah. I mean, since you put it that way, you like it's for the people. So, well, damn. Yeah. I, I want folks to live. I want yes, you to live. Yes, oh, yeah, same same I want life and life more abundantly. That's what that's what I want. So. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, one, one one last quick final question. Uh part of uh, when Rhonda first introduced to me in November, uh, we wanted to kind of get folks' thoughts on the evolution of DAP in Washington, uh, gentrifying Washington, D.C. When you think about, you know, D.C. when Kier first got, when I first got here in 1999, D.C. was a different place than it is in 2020. Just with that in mind, how do you feel the role of DAP has changed in, in Washington, D.C.? 
Well, I think we can say, I think we can prove uh, empirically there are fewer people doing it. I think of that, I am certain. <laughs> I am sure about that. There are fewer daps per minute and fewer daps per square mile. Exactly. exactly. I mean, you know, I actually think the disappearance of the dap is so interesting because like, you know, back in the day, I mean, I, I love DC. We live in Capitol Hill. But I'm going to tell you, real talk, where we live in Capitol Hill, I wouldn't have lived in 2000. Like, I live in Southeast, where we are, we are across Pennsylvania Avenue from Potomac Gardens, which was, at that point, when I moved here, I think just coming down, or maybe was still the murder capital of the United States. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I I am grateful for the um, the economic improvement and for the safety, but I do lament the fact that like DC is less culturally black. And the example I give is the Reeves Center. So y'all know the Reeves Center, 14th and U Street. Back then, you would come in to the Reeves Center on a Friday or a Saturday. I didn't even know what go go clubs were. Real talk. I was just like, wait, so I pay five dollars. It's a band and it's food and it's dancing. Like sign me up. But that was like a go-go spot, just like um, the place Tacoma Station, go-go spots. Like, and, that, and so I feel like the disappearance of those spots and what they were culturally within the community is totally parallel to like the disappearance of the DAP within DC. And, but, like, but, real, but also being real, like, you know, I think the folks in some of the communities that have been pushed out there's still a divide, like, again, being real between the folks on this line right now and those folks, we have different, honestly, different lines. You know what I think about all the time when we talk about the comorbidity rate for Black folk with COVID is the fact that we are essential workers, like classic, the cats that are delivering things and all, mm-hmm. like, and, and there is still, there's a divide. I perceive that divide more now than I did before because yeah. those are the folks that are still out driving, working every single day while, the, while we have the comfort of being in our homes doing meetings by Zoom and like that sort of thing. So anyway, I, I just think it's interesting. Like to me, those two are very connected. Right, definitely. You get props right. for mentioning Tacoma Station. I just- <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Did you yeah. used to go to Tacoma? That's the spot. The, yeah. the, the Long Island Ice tea, man. You have two of those, you need to ride home. <laughs> Those are pre Uber days. Yeah, Rhonda, Rhonda is a DC native. If that hasn't been uh, determined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been. Um, I I can attest to the five dollars at Fourteenth uh, and U. That's those are facts right there. <laughs> we'll just put it that way. Those those are facts right there. You ain't never lied about that. All right, well, gentlemen, it has truly been a pleasure. We may have to do a follow up uh, at some point. Kier, if you find that picture of you and uh, Brother Holder, please pass it along. We're going to need that. <laughs> Look for it. But it's embarrassing, so I'll just say that for the record. That's perfect. That's perfect. It's not embarrassing. <laughs> that's, that's better. <laughs> <laughs> it's not well, thanks for having us, guys. Thanks Good time. This is great. Ron, yeah. very nice to meet you.